Hello, and welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, the Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. This is a Security Ledger Spotlight Podcast and is brought to you this week by the Trusted Computing Group. Security identities are the foundation of secure ecosystems, the risk of oversimplifying. Without the foundation of strong identity, there can be no security. That's especially true of the Internet of Things, where both the diversity and scale of connected endpoints create endless opportunities for mischief and mayhem. We've already seen this. For example, look at the weekly configured IP cameras and routers that can be compromised and enrolled in global botnets like Mirai or used to siphon off sensitive data from corporate and personal networks. Hacks of connected cars and even implantable medical devices have been shown to be potentially lethal consequences of endpoint of connected endpoint insecurity, while hacks of point of sale systems have long been the bane of retailers. The challenge for technologists is how to craft secure and irrefutable identities on small, resource-constrained endpoints. One answer is DICE, a new secure architecture designed by Microsoft and the Trusted Computing Group and designed specifically for resource and cost-constrained endpoints like those on the Internet of Things. DICE, or the Device Identifier Composition Engine Architectures, provide both security and privacy benefits to the Internet of Things and embedded systems that are unsuitable for traditional trusted platform modules. But what is DICE and how can connected device and thing makers best take advantage of this new architecture? We sat down with one of the architects of DICE, Dennis Mattoon, a senior software development engineer at Microsoft Research, to learn about it and how DICE can help solve problems like establishing strong device identity and deploying and verifying software update in distributed IoT environments. To start off our conversation, I asked Dennis to talk about the origins of DICE in his work on the team that developed Riot, the robust IoT security framework. My name is Dennis Mattoon, and I'm an architect on the security and privacy team in Microsoft Research. So this effort was born out of a project called Riot in Microsoft Research and on the security and privacy team here. Riot originally stood for robust IoT, robust Internet of Things, and the R took on several meanings, robust, reliable, resilient, and any other good R words. And we recognized that this could have impact. It, it fills a pretty big gap we see in embedded computing and especially IoT today. You mentioned the need for this kind of thing in, in embedded device ecosystems. And the reason is as we further constrained devices as we see new market segments emerging where we have more and smaller devices. We need to start throwing things out, right? We need to reduce bomb costs so we can scale to an arbitrarily high number of devices. And often the first thing we think we can do without uh, tends to be security stuff. Bomb meeting build of materials. Exactly right. So the actual cost of the device. So take, for example, take TPMs. So I'll state up front, DICE is not a competitive technology to TPMs. It's complementary, right? And we'll see why in a second. A TPM, in terms of part cost, you know, best case, maybe 90 cents to a dollar per discrete part, that can be half to 100% of the cost of my SOC or microcontroller that I'm going to ship, right? So relying on our traditional notions of security, just throwing a trusted platform module into the box and everything's good, we, we just can't do that anymore. We need, to, we need to find better ways to do it. And to effectively address these challenges in IoT and embedded security, the architecture has to be very cheap or free. I mean, not and not mm-hmm. just in terms of uh, the bill of materials mm-hmm. cost for the device, but also in the, the intellectual debt you have to incur to take on these new kinds of technologies. 
it needs to be adaptable with minimal silicon requirements just because we need this this hugely diverse ecosystem to adopt these kinds of principles. If you want that to happen, you can't go trying to get people to implement particular hardware requirements or some new thing, right? You want to leverage as much as possible existing features and hardware. And finally, it's got to be scalable because the more devices you have, the more kinds of problems that you start to see. Scalability is absolutely critical in this space as well. So you mentioned that DICE grew out of Microsoft's robust Internet of Things or Riot architecture. Could you talk about uh, what Riot does and what parts of that made their way into DICE or or helped set the course for DICE? Sure. Riot was a more sort of comprehensive sort of broad project that was just interested in reasoning about security in IoT. And when we saw value in this, we sort of wrapped our heads around how we get this to be something we can map to a hugely diverse environment and still have all these great security properties. And and the obvious sort of first idea you have when it comes to trying to get a bunch of different things all doing the same thing is, is around security standards. So our team at Microsoft Research, we were responsible for their TPM reference implementation. One of my colleagues here was the editor of the TPM spec in TCG. I maintain the TSS, which is another TPM sort of software library. So we're all about the TPM, and we decided to try and take a look at that effort and take those lessons learned and try to apply them to this new environment of these resource-constrained devices. And I guess back to the original point, we looked at Riot and we decided we need to standardize some of these low-level requirements so that we can leverage existing hardware security in these IoT devices and not attempt to stipulate difficult to achieve kind of implementation requirements. We took the hardware level requirements and brought that to TCG and released the original DICE hardware spec. The specification lays out what needs to be done in order to be able to build on top of the hardware this DICE architecture, which is kind of what Riot was as well. One of the big selling points of it is because we take this layered approach to secret derivation, because starting at the DICE layer, we have the unique device secret it's combined with a measurement of the next layer. That next layer does precisely the same thing. It has the ability to measure the next layer and combine its secret with that measurement to provide that secret to the next layer and so on for N layers. The huge upside to this is that let's say I'm an attacker and I am able to exploit inject code, change configuration, whatever, to one of these layers. Think of a typical device startup, right? You have ROM, which hands off to an SPL or low-level bootloader, which loads some other components and then passes control mm-hmm. to that. The trust zone example is a great one. You have the Opti monitor being loaded by what came before that. And ultimately, it all starts with power on reset. That's kind of what I mean, the standard sort of startup. And in that boot chain, if I was successful at runtime in injecting some kind of code or configuration change or, or something, that will be immediately detected, not so much detected, but implied Mm -hmm. in measurements. So when something changes, the measurement takes place on that layer. And if I was successful in injecting something or changing configuration or whatever, my measurement comes out different. My secret is different. The keys I derive are different. And what that means is anything I was using those keys for, like identifying myself to a relying party or encrypting my own data, an attacker by definition cannot gain access to those things because the measurements of that software layer have changed and by exploiting the device he's now destroyed his ability to access you know actual secrets on the device and how would that be handled elegantly within the device hardware and software or firmware would that just crash a device or would there be some kind of way of saying oh well this device has been compromised and so now it uh, we need to 
kind of take it offline and remediate? The solution we favored is one that is, in my opinion, most efficient and simplest, right? Because we know these things that are secured by our secrets are safe because a successful exploit means I can't get those secrets back. And on the service side, it's just like any other device I don't recognize trying to access the service. So it is indistinguishable from an unknown device trying to talk to a service or the device booting right. and the endpoint can't start up right because it, it'll still attempt to go and identify itself to a relying party, but that TLS session right. is going to fail. Yeah, we think the simplest solution is uh, to just allow it to play out. Did you guys test this against some nasty IoT malware? There isn't a lot of it, but there is some. <laughs> That's something I would love to do. We have not yet, just because people are always <laughs> reluctant to you know, create those kinds of environments. <laughs> <laughs> So when we think about the TPM, the Trusted Platform Module, obviously that was technology that is in you know most modern desktops, laptops, servers, provides you know hardware-based root of trust for securing software and transactions. Why is that not applicable to IoT? I mean, you talked about the cost issue, but are there other constraints as well on just putting a TPM and everything beyond the unit cost. Sure. Every way you can measure a device and an element of your IoT ecosystem, the TPM just eats up those resources, right? In terms of code size, not only do you need to have the discrete part or even a firmware TPM in your device, but you now need to be able to interact with it, which requires software layers above the TPM to be able to execute commands and take responses and unmarshal the data and provide an API layer to interact with some remote node. On the service side, you need to have the expertise, and again, infrastructure to be able to make sense of those commands and responses. And it's 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 just a big, complicated thing. And that's fine for PCs and servers. We have those libraries. We've wrapped our heads around how all that works. Things like BitLocker, which you don't even realize are operating in the background. That's great. And those are great on a PC because it has room to spare, because it has those resources. You don't care about code size. You don't care about memory usage because all of those are, are perfectly within normal parameters. Your resource budget is pretty big on a PC or server. For an IoT device, it's exactly the opposite. You can't afford to waste space and flash on unnecessary code. Take my carefully crafted ROM on my microcontroller and, and attempt to introduce more complicated code that has to deal with a TPM. That's just a big ask. And, and mm -hmm. because we know people aren't going to make that decision, we have to anticipate the decisions they will make and try to provide something that provides a subset of the functionality a TPM does, but at zero cost. They do all kinds of stuff. There's, I mean... Just in the spec alone, there's at least 100 TPM commands. They're great, except in an IoT solution, the endpoint, the, the little device, we don't need to do even a fraction of the stuff a TPM can do. What we care about most is attestation and device identity, right? We want to know that the device we're talking to is exactly the device we think we're talking to. And we want to be able to let the endpoint make statements as to its health. It needs to attest to the software and configuration on the platform and it, even better if we can link the identity of the software running on the endpoint with a strong cryptographic hardware-based identity for the platform. And that's exactly what DICE gives us. So talk a little bit about how DICE works. Is this a solution that requires everyone to put the same piece of hardware into their connected endpoints, or can this be done, can DICE be implemented entirely at the software level? Much of it can be implemented in ROM and device firmware. Even better if you have hardware support for this kind of stuff. DICE specification presents more a set of principles than it does a set of hard requirements. So the ones for critical element 
in the hardware spec is that in order to be dice compliant, I guess, to, to follow the spec, the hardware needs to possess a, a unique device secret. Most devices already do this. The one sort of stipulation in the hardware spec is that only the dice itself, the device identifier composition engine, only dice may access the unique device secret. So on power on reset, dice reads this big random number and locks out access to it so that it cannot be read again until the next power on reset. The second element, so there's the unique device secret, number one, and number two, DICE has to have the ability to compute a hash, essentially, to take a measurement over the next code that's going to execute. So we take a layered approach in the DICE model because it's easier to reason about the software running on a device that way. So at Power and Reset, DICE comes up, reads the unique device secret, calculates a hash across the next software layer to run, essentially a measurement, and then it combines cryptographically via a one-way function that measurement with the unique device secret to produce something called the CDI, the compound device identifier, and it hands that to the next layer. And then once that transition is made, you're now out of the hardware spec. Those two elements are all that's covered in the hardware specification. And then you cross into what we call dice architectures in TCG, where we specify how to take this very simple construct of a unique device secret and a software measurement, and to build on top of that a much richer sort of security scenario that leverages device identity testation. And on top of that, you can even build things like sealing, which is uh, data at rest protection, encryption on the device, secure updates, cyber resiliency, the ability to recover from an exploit on a device. There's all kinds of stuff you can do with it. What advantages does using the DICE architecture have over, I guess, how things are done today and from the thing makers or device architects standpoint? How do you use this technology? What tools and resources are available to allow you to make this part of your development process? So in terms of development and system designers and makers too, we have different development tools out there. Some of our partners have also produced success kits for DICE on their microcontrollers. The latest to announce is one from Microchip. They announced the CEC1702 microcontroller, and they've also released software library, dev tools, hardware debuggers, all kinds of great stuff to bring this up on their devices. ST Microelectronics, one of the early prototyping devices we used for DICE was the STM32L4 I happen to be holding here right now. Also, great device, works with all the standard and free development environments like ARM Kyle and even Eclipse-based development environments. I think ST actually makes their own too. Beyond the makers, for more industrial enterprise kinds of applications, we have other vendors shipping hardware to device manufacturers uh, that allows them to incorporate DICE in their solution as well. So Micron and Windbond, two flash memory producers, they've incorporated DICE into their flash controllers. So if you as a device vendor happen to be shipping a microcontroller and maybe you don't want to spend the time to understand this technology, I don't want to have to make changes to my silicon, what can I do? You can integrate a flash part that leverages DICE as well. And that's not even all the vendors that produce parts that support this stuff. It's just a subset. For more information on that kind of stuff, we can visit the Trusted Computing Group site and get more information there. So long and short, is there a lot of different platforms out there already that are supporting DICE and allowing you to take advantage of it as you're building out your own ecosystem? It's as varied as IoT itself. There's all kinds of different interesting solutions, and there are a few more coming that we'll announce in the next couple of months that are actually really cool that if they can get another approach to this kind of thing, and I look forward to being able to talk about those. And Dennis, you know, some of the use cases, some of the needs we've talked about with Internet of Things are around, you know, device attestation, secure firmware updates, obviously, as we saw with Mirai, you know, kind of secure management interfaces and sessions. Are these the types of things that DICE will enable in 
connected device, embedded device ecosystems that are built on top of the DICE architecture? Yeah, absolutely. So the first sort of production availability for DICE architecture happens to be Azure. Just because DICE was developed at Microsoft, I mean, I'm part of Microsoft Research, I don't have to necessarily sell Microsoft solutions. I want to see this adopted ecosystem wide. So Azure just happens to be the first environment where this is implemented in production just because those guys are around the corner and I can go into their office and ask them, (laughs) talk to them about how all this works. But anyway, right now you can leverage, if you're an Azure customer already using their out. IoT solutions, you can start using even today what they're calling their device provisioning service. This is a zero touch provisioning feature as part of Azure IoT that allows you to essentially take a device out of the box, put it in your environment, power it up and have it recognized and added to your IoT hub without human interaction. So the classic sort of use case for that is you have 10,000 sensors or microcontrollers or devices around your factory, industrial IoT, and you would love it if every single one of those didn't require a guy to go up a ladder to push your button. That's what zero-touch provisioning and the device provisioning service gets you. And we do that via this sort of DICE architecture. Our first publication out of the device, out of the DICE Architectures Group outlines this architecture where we have, as I said, the boot is split up into layers. And as the device starts up, it creates these measurements and the secrets that it receives, it uses those as seeds for an asymmetric key pair, one representing the device identity, another representing the identity of the device as combined with the device firmware called the alias key. And in Azure, when your device comes up background, what it's doing is starting a TLS session with the client and it's authenticating the TLS session against the cert chain that the client presents. So this DICE enabled node responds to the challenge from the cloud provider with its cert chain. And during device manufacturing, the vendor would have signed the device ID on the device so that Azure gets the cert chain, validates the signatures down the chain, and finds that it ends in a trusted root certificate or a root cert that you as the customer at your IoT hub. So because the device is able to present a certificate chain and, and can prove possession of the private keys, that automatically sort of implies and guarantees that the device firmware is in the state you expect and you are talking to precisely the hardware you think you are. Because if any of those software layers happen to have an exploit or there's a changing configuration that wasn't expected, those key derivations would come out different. The keys would be unrecognizable. The certificates wouldn't chain back to trusted root. And you would know without the device taking any action whether or not the device has been compromised. You're listening to a special spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast. This brought to you this week by the Trusted Computing Group. I know one issue that's often been raised when we talk about doing PKI with the Internet of Things or kind of secure communications is sometimes trouble generating enough entropy on these very small endpoints to you know, create the keys that you need to to do really secure communications that, you know, many of these small devices are so similar to each other that entropy becomes an issue. Is that an issue that you guys had to wrestle with as you were putting together this DICE architecture of looking to generate these unique keys as a root of trust? Uh, yeah, it is part of the motivation for how we, how we do these key derivations. So the way we get around this problem is for devices that have no source of randomness, the DICE hardware specification allows for manufacturing station that each device visits on its way out the factory can have its source of entropy in an HSM on some manufacturing line somewhere, and it can be generating these random unique device secrets, placing them on the device during manufacture. So the typical manufacturing process for a microcontroller involves these devices coming off manufacturing and spending, you know, five to eight seconds talking to an HSM. 
And part of the process that already exists, we can add to that the injection of this unique device secret. And that is sort of the random piece of the derivation chain. And the key derivation on the device is deterministic based on the measurement of software and that big random number in hardware. So the so on the endpoint device, even with asymmetric crypto, I mean, we're not using RSA, first of all, this is all ECC, but even then we don't need a source of entropy because we want our key derivations to be deterministic based on software measurements and the random element of the particular unique device secret, which is why, I mean, obviously we have guidance around the unique device secret and how large that needs to be, right? It should be a minimum of 256 bits of random number generated from a good source of entropy for sure. You know, you mentioned some of the capabilities of Microsoft's Azure Cloud in in regard to DICE. There are probably folks out there, listeners of a certain age, who might look cynically at any Microsoft initiative as a way to drive people to Microsoft's platform, you know, kind of PTSD from the 1990s. If you are on Amazon's cloud or Rackspace cloud or Google's cloud, are there more hurdles for you to leverage DICE or Conversely, fewer hooks and tools for you to maximize the utility of DICE, or is it all pretty neutral? So I sort of grew up basically during the, you know, Microsoft is evil phase, right? I mean, I had that same belief at one time in my history, right? And <laughs> did you have that t-shirt in your, in your drawer? Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I was hard. I mean, I am still a hardcore <laughs> Linux fan, right? Everybody loves that. Except I've <laughs> also come to really appreciate <laughs> Windows, what goes into it, the stuff that we make. Being part of Microsoft research is even better because you get to see into all these different products. But at the same time, you have no obligation to only sit there and look at Microsoft stuff. It's the best tool for the job, right? And we do have people at Google we're close to. Google's a part of the Trusted Computing Group. They're active in the DICE Architectures work group. I would one day love to see DICE be part of the hardware requirements for Android things at the very least. I would love it to go work with Amazon on bringing up DICE in, in their cloud environment. That'd be awesome. Except today, our progress has gone so far as Azure. But that doesn't mean you can't implement the same kind of solution in other cloud environments because, I mean, you can have your own sort of service that lives in any one of these cloud environments that implements this DICE architecture and, you know, interrogates devices for their identity. And you you can manage that yourself. It just so happens that Azure is the first environment that has already done this for Mm -hmm. you, that provides it as a tool and a feature of their IoT solution. But presumably, we might expect to see similar support from some of the other major cloud vendors going forward. Pending our success, yes, I would love to see that, for sure. (laughs) Right. I don't want to be too Um, optimistic, right? Because, I mean, I think it's great. We're in a great place for having only been, you know, working on this in a standards, very broad way for about a year. So this is a fast-moving fast-paced kind of environment that is blisteringly fast in terms of standards. And it's happening because we have such interest from vendors and customers and clients and the need to get as many endpoints in every cloud environment as possible. Are there DICE implementations out there, either in alpha, beta, or even production that you can talk about? And as we see this start to gain adoption, what is the low-hanging fruit in terms of uh, DICE implementations? What are some of the pain points that DICE could really help with? Zero-touch provisioning has been the first pain point that we went after and have, in my opinion, successfully addressed in Azure. And that's low-hanging fruit and probably the highest value target. Verticals like Mm -hmm. industrial IoT or 
or even to some extent automotive. They're great environment where we can leverage this kind of technology. And that stinks because so far my favorite, and I know I'm supposed to remain totally objective being the, the, the work group chair, but some of my favorite implementations are going to production. They can't be talked about except next year we'll have this same conversation and we'll be talking about how the vision is realized with, with some of these vendors. Today, I am always impressed with the new and sort of innovative ways mm -hmm. that people have chosen to implement this stuff. For example, DICE and Flash. When this first started, I never would have considered a Flash controller would implement DICE and do it independently of the main processor, right? So it comes up and performs measurements before the CPU even gets a chance to, to begin executing. And that's a really cool way to do it. And it's because we are doing this in a standards kind of way that we can bring this technology to all these different areas and see it develop in new and interesting ways. One of the big challenges with any initiative like this is kind of winning the hearts and minds of developers. You know, the folks who are actually going to do the heavy lifting of creating these solutions. What are you guys doing on that score? And is there any way to measure interest, uptake, those types of things? I feel like we're not doing enough. There just aren't enough hours in the day to get to everything that we want to do. So we have our sort of reference code, our reference implementation out there in GitHub. We've had lots of different vendors and even some academic institutions, some, some research institutions, put it through its paces, try to go find all those security problems, evaluate it. Uh, and we would love feedback from developers that are picking this up and trying to use it. There are success kits available from, as I said, Microchip, ST. You'll see one from ST pretty soon. This needs to be added on, on our GitHub repo too. Device, our own sort of prototype device firmware. So you, so you can see how all this stuff works on different device types. For example, the STM3204 has a feature called a memory firewall. And it's a way to lock down certain areas of memory mm -hmm. that, that you can read on power on reset and then lock them down so that it can't be read again until next power on reset. One of our first prototypes is built on this platform and we made that public so that you can go and see how that works, which is great if you're using the L4, but if you're on the IMX6 from NXP, what are you going to do, right? And so it's a matter of providing as much guidance as we can with the knowledge that with such a diverse ecosystem, different platforms are going to have their own ways of implementing the hardware specification. But as you start sure. to get up the stack from the hardware, they all start to look similar. They all will start to implement the same kinds of uh, architectures and elements that go into security and attestation. Any external drivers that you see that might push people towards using a DICE architecture, be they regulatory, uh, legal, what have you? I've gotten the feedback that that is something that is a benefit around DICE. I have not experienced that firsthand just because I don't have to deal with stuff like GDPR. That's, that's a whole different group. We do take privacy very seriously. So in IoT devices, there are sort of two factions that a device would fit into. Not so much a faction, but two groups. In an environment like industrial IoT, for example, you want to know the device you're working on. There is no such thing as privacy. I have to know exactly which device this is, how I talk to it, what's running on it. I need to know everything. And then in an environment like the consumer space, where we actually have vendors, uh, you know, going to production with DICE, with DICE architectures, pretty soon, you suddenly care whether or not the cloud provider can identify this device and attach it to me personally, right? So we also provide in our specification guidance on how to abstract away from that sort of top level, I'm talking to the cloud provider API, that mechanism where you're mm -hmm. authenticating the right. client and how to abstract away the, the identity of a person, mm -hmm. right? The, the actual user. Because in IoT, we're not used to having users, right? IoTs are headless, userless entities where we don't so much have these kinds of worries. But 
we're seeing that that's not always true, and especially in a consumer environment. So we do take that stuff very seriously, and we are always looking for feedback on how we can do better. So if developers out there are putting these pieces together and they find a way that they can sort of sidestep these kinds of privacy protections, we're always looking for feedback. What's going to be coming up? I mean, DICE is a work in progress. So, you know, we're coming up on the big Black Hat conference in the beginning of August through into 2019. What types of developments should we see with the DICE architecture? So we started with DICE with a specific kind of use case in mind. That was that was a pretty resource-constrained device. So an MCU, microcontroller class device, and an asymmetric based identity that we want to make sure we're as you know interoperable as possible so if you have an existing pki environment you use tls which everyone does and you have a, a pretty reasonable average microcontroller today you, you can implement all your iot solution using dice dice riot kinds of kinds of principles and our reference code then what's coming next are those use cases that we didn't tackle up front and that's on the low end very very simple microcontrollers, particular strain of the Arduino was where we started, the class of device that can just barely manage to provide a hash, right? All you have on the device is a hashing function and a device secret. What can we do? And then we're also focusing on the other end of the scale, the Beefgear SOCs. I mentioned the IMX6. So we're prototyping with the IMX6, 7, 8 from NXP. But really, generally, any device that has an isolated execution environment, even SGX from Intel, there are all kinds of interesting scenarios you can build when you have dice underlying a trusted execution environment because let's say you really want a TPM on that device, but you can't afford the discrete part and adding that mm -hmm. to the board. On beefier SOC like the IMX6, you have trust zone. I can run a firmware TPM inside trust zone and use dice to create the same kind of attachment that I have on a laptop and my TPM. I can create a linkage between this particular hardware device and the firmware TPM running on in trust zone. So up in that high level OS, whether it's Linux or Windows or whatever the heck's up there, I can know that I'm not only talking to someone with this identity because I stored keys in the TPM, right? Typical TPM APIs and mechanisms, but I've also created a linkage between the hardware via DICE and that firmware TPM. There's just all sorts of interesting scenarios that can be built, and we're trying to focus on the broad, broader kind of IoT ecosystem, everything from super tiny devices with symmetric-based identities up through more beefier SOCs and asymmetric crypto. You know, as the Internet of Things really grows exponentially and the population of kind of traditional IT assets, you know, the kind of desktops, laptops, servers stays the same or maybe even shrinks over time. Does something like DICE end up just replacing the what we all think of as the, the traditional trusted platform module, that piece of silicon, dedicated silicon within a multi-purpose computer? Are we going to look back on this as sort of a, an evolutionary I mean, step beyond the traditional TPM to a, kind of a new species? I think it'll be interesting. As long as there are PCs and servers, there, there's going to be TPMs. Yeah, I think over time, you'll see that reduction as we get more and better isolated execution environments, technology that allows us to have a separate and secure space to run code. Yeah, you'll start seeing TPMs 
well, security generally. We probably wouldn't even call it our TPM at that point, but it'll implement precisely the same functionality. You'll have this kind of security stuff either, it better to be implemented in hardware, but if not in hardware, then you have this trust zone style environment to place this firmware solution, which can be so much more flexible. I don't have to go spin up a new part or flash ROM on some device in order to test a change, right? So I can have the same kind of control and updatability and flexibility mm -hmm. we enjoy today in, in any kind of software solution, but we're actually running it inside that isolated environment in TrustZone or SGX or any kind of isolated environment. Our listenership are fairly technical. Many of them are in information technology in one form or another. If they're interested in learning more about this DICE architecture and some of the things you've been talking about, where should they go, Dennis? Best place is trustedcomputinggroup.org. Over there, you'll see the workgroup list, and you can select DICE Architectures. On that DICE Architectures workgroup page, you'll see links to the specifications, our device attestation reference, some marketing materials that have been authored around DICE. I'd like to also add a pointer to our GitHub repository for this stuff. I'll give it out here, but it's going to change, so hopefully we'll make that linkage on the Trusted Computing site. It's github.com slash Microsoft slash Riot. R-I-O-T. Eventually, we'd like to, as we said before, we're in early days. We're still getting all these pieces together and moving at a crazy pace. So pretty soon, I hope it pops up to the top of my to-do list where mm -hmm. we move to a proper repository that reflects mm -hmm. the connection to T Trusted Computing Group and makes it easier right. for developers. Dennis Batoon, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us on the Security Ledger podcast about DICE. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Dennis Mattoon is a senior software development engineer at Microsoft Research. He was here today talking to us about the DICE architectures from Trusted Computing Group.